And today we've got another great episode lined up for you guys, another great guest. But before we get into our guest, we have our latest news. Yeah, for sure. So, latest news in the NBA realm. Uh, Jamal Crawford getting signed by the Brooklyn Nets alongside with Michael Beasley. Um, you know, Sean Strarnia mentioned that, you know, this is going to be a great way for Jamal Crawford and Michael Beasley to showcase their talents. Um, they're great veterans and, and you know, they're going to be a really good asset to the Brooklyn Nets in this restart. Um, so it's going to be a really good way for these guys to, you know, hopefully showcase their skills and get signed on by the Brooklyn Nets for the 2020-2021 season and get to play alongside Kyrie Irving and Kevin Durant. So I'm really excited to see how that's going to play out. Um, and, and I know personally, these guys are really, really good, good basketball players. So really excited to see how they work out with Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving and the Nets. Um, in other news, we have the Rockets uh, landed in Orlando. However, James Harden and Russell Westbrook did not. They are going to be traveling with the staff team. So they are going to be joining the Houston Rockets in the near future. Um, so that's it for me. And on, in terms of the NFL side, we have 49ers running back Raheem Mostert requested a trade from the 49ers after talking about a new contract. Did not go well. You know, he he had a really great season last year, especially in the playoffs. Showed up, uh, gave the 49ers what they were best at, which was the rushing attack. And the Niners just aren't willing to pay him yet. So he's gone now. He requested a trade. And we'll see how that plays out. And probably the news of the week was Patrick Mahomes signing the biggest contract in sports history signing a 10-year extension with the Kansas City Chiefs for $450 million, which could actually go up to $503 million with incentives. Um, I mean, $450 million, I mean, I don't know what I would do with that much money, but I think he deserves every single penny of that. You know, he's already been an MVP. He's won the Super Bowl. He's not even 25 yet. So, I mean, if you're talking – value that was probably the best thing the Chiefs could have done just giving him whatever amount of money he wanted and what do you think Arson? I mean I think it's a great deal it's a lot of money that's for sure um and you know what do you think about that whole 10-year deal though do you think that can play a factor in in his contract or, or how do you feel about that I mean look 10 years is risky as it is you know you never know if you get hurt but he he gets to guarantee 140 million even if he's hurt it was just is injury guarantee. So, I mean, for the Chiefs, it's a it's a risk. But when you have a talent like Patrick Mahomes, you gotta you gotta take risks and you gotta you gotta go along with it because you know Mahomes is just that good. So, I do guess it was think, a great deal. Do you think that there there's another um, chance for Patrick Mahomes to win a Super Bowl, or do you think he's a one hit wonder? Oh no, for sure he he has he's. That he's so great. I, I think he's the best quarterback in the NFL right now. You know, there's no doubt in my mind that they can win another Super Bowl if they keep the pieces around him. I mean, they're gonna have to pay Tyreek Hill in the future. They're gonna have to pay Travis Kelsey. But as long as they have that offense with Andy Reid coaching them, that great offensive line, great weapons around him, and an improving defense, they're always gonna be a threat in the AFC and a threat in the, in the NFL to win the Super Bowl. Hundred percent. You know, I'm excited to see how. Patrick Mahomes kind of plays out and how does he adapt to this $450 million contract and you know does that fame and does that money get to him where he you know starts to slack off and play you know lazy or does he you know come back even stronger and wants to make make history so really excited for that 
Uh, yeah, I totally agree. And, you know, now we get into our guest for today. Uh, he is the he is a writer and reporter for The Athletic, also known as the Rockets Insider. We would love to welcome Ali Khan Bajani. Hey, guys. Thanks for having me on. Thank you for, thank you for coming. So, uh, you know, we would love to know a little bit more about yourself and, you know, kind of your journey to how you got to where you are today. Yeah, um, I started off in high school, actually, um, kind of where I'm still is right now, just coming off of senior year. Um, I created a Twitter account, and that was mainly because a lot of my friends would give me slack on on social media, saying I would tweet about basketball too much. Uh, so I, I, I made a Twitter, a Twitter account and just kind of started covering the team um, from a, and trying to figure out what is my niche? What can I do to kind of make myself stand out? Um, this is coming off the 2013 NBA Finals when it was the Miami Heat and the San Antonio Spurs, and it was a chess match. I really loved um, seeing the strategic adjustments that both coaches made. It made me really interested um, in understanding what goes into plays, what goes into just a lot of the schematic things that happen in the NBA. So I spent that entire summer kind of reading a PDFs about a YouTube I went to a lot of coaching clinics in terms online. And it really gave me a better understanding of what basketball is and just a more holistic perspective about it. So when that's when that 2013-2014 uh, season started, that's that's my first season covering the team. Um, I just want to make sure I, I, I put my best foot forward. Um, and from there, I've had some really great opportunities, um, you know, starting from a small blog, writing for them, uh, to going to SB Nation, uh, to going to ESPN Houston, and now luckily – I've been able to have my work featured on the athletic. So it's it's been a great it's been a great rise for me. I've you know definitely enjoyed every step of the journey and there's a long way to go as well. Hundred percent. And and I guess to kind of follow up on that, what would be your advice to, you know, people that are wanting to get involved in, you know, journaling and, and writing for, you know, anything sports related? What would be your advice for them? Yeah, you know, I, I think the biggest thing is if you have a passion for sports and you see yourself, you know, going to the journalism aspect of it, you have to make sure you practice writing. And, and that's not that's that's not just about you and, sh- and, and realizing what your voice is, but that's also you reading other people's work as well. It's important for you to be able to understand the different types of learning styles and um, and different perspectives that exist out there. And it really helps you kind of create your own voice. Um, and the second thing is find your niche. There's a lot of people who do specific things. Um, you can be a beat writer. You can be a guy like me who likes to kind of just be an analyst and kind of analyze different things. There's different there's different niches that exist for different teams, and it's up to you to be able to grow in that niche and find something that nobody else does and do it to the best of your ability. If you can do that, if you can showcase yourself as someone who's doing something that nobody else is doing but excelling at it and kind of teaching the audience and informing the audience, that's a great skill and asset to have. Yeah, hundred percent. And and I really liked how you mentioned, you know, that whole practicing aspect of it. Cause I know a lot of people just expect to, you know, make those certain connections, which, you know, it's great to have, but you always have to have that practice inside and always have to yeah. figure out who you're going to be targeting. So amazing. Connection, um, connections are one thing, but you know, it, it's also about, do you have the voice? I mean, does your voice stand out whenever you write? Right. I didn't, I never, st- I, I was never a good writer in high school. I took AP English and that started my journey in terms of becoming a great writer. I did more practice. I learned what it means to write persuasive essays, argumentative essays. Then I kind of, you know, l- learn better vocabulary. Um, you have to be able to understand what makes 
a article flow well. I mean, there's a lot of different things that go into it. That's why it's always important to read. I think reading is the is is the biggest thing you can do if you are interested at least at least going into journalism or especially sports journalism. Exactly, you couldn't have said it better. Um, amazing. So really good advice, and I'm sure all the listeners that are listening and kind of want to get into that. Um, I'm sure Ali Khan would be happy to kind of help you and walk you through that process. Cool. So now if we can kind of transition into the Rockets, you know, you are the Rockets insider. So we'd love to get to know some of your um, opinions on some of these things. So I guess to start off, what do you think we can expect from the Rockets once this NBA season restarts? You know, we understand that the Rockets have just traveled. They're in Orlando now. Um, so what do you think we're expecting from the Rockets? And, and what do you think their play style is going to be looking like? Um, so, yeah. Yeah, no, I, I, I think that's... That's the that's the really key question. What are they going to look like? I don't think we can expect them to look um, just like they did uh, back in March when the season stopped. Um, I think in this restart, it's going to be really paramount for them to kind of go all in on small ball. And not to say they weren't already doing that passive trade deadline, but there's certain things that you can do when your team was kind of newly put together. Uh, and what I mean by that is you went from having Clint Capella there for the first you know quarter to half of the season to going all in on small ball. You take away a guy who can be a rim runner in transition. You're going completely five out. I mean, there are some changes that exist for certain players, not just James Harden and Russell Westbrook, for, but for the bench guys as well in terms of building that routine. What is what is the rotation going to be like? I think a lot of those things in this second training camp for them is going to be absolutely important. Um, I know Coach D'Antoni wants to play faster, and and I asked him uh, last week to clarify, what do you mean by speed? What does that mean? And, and, and he just wants them to kind of play within themselves and, and be able to not kind of think and just kind of be able to do things that exist. Um, and, and one thing that's kind of really been uh, a question mark for Rockets Twitter, for example, is the fact that, you know, why don't the Rockets run plays? It seems to be in isolation um, all of the time. And, and I agree. I think we saw that especially towards the end. Uh, when the season stopped, the teams were kind of figuring out different types of schematic adjustments they can make. For example, the Clippers, what they did was they had one guy on James Harden at the top of the key, and they would place four guys in each of the corners by the free throw line. And what that does is that kind of pretty much packs the paint. So James can't, James's biggest skill is that when he gets past you one on one, he gets inside that paint and he forces the defense to collapse on you, which allows him to know without the, the perimeter shooters moving where they're going to be. But if teams are starting to pack the paint as much as they do, it's up to those shooters to knock down shots. And if they're not knocking down shots, then you have to be able to adjust um, and adapt to what's going on. And I know Coach D'Antoni is kind of working on some of those things, but it all comes down to playing faster. There's a big, uh, I think there's a big myth that you can't play fast in the playoffs and things slow down. To a certain extent, they do in terms of the pressure and, and, and everything going on. But that doesn't necessarily mean your defense cannot propel your offense. And I think for them, they have to be able to get their communication down, get their switching scheme down. If they can force turnovers, which they are really good at, Robert Covington loves to be able to gamble. You have James Harden, who has one of the fastest hands in the league, which is a big reason why they place him in the post because he can get so many steals. You have bit, you have smalls who can guard bigs. You have bigs who can do well against perimeter players. That's that's a strategy towards getting more turnovers. And for them, if they can feast off those turnovers and transition, that's going to propel their offense and allow them to set their defense. The the number one key strategy in terms of defensive transition, uh, something to which the Rockets struggle at is making sure you get good, you get good shot attempts. And what I mean by that is if you are shooting a three, make sure it's, it's a good three. If you, if you're shooting a two, make sure it's a good two, not a long rebound, not something where an opposing 
team can leak out in transition and get an easy scoring opportunity on you. The Rockets are one of the best teams in the NBA in terms of defending in the half court or defending after they made a shot. And that's not by accident. They know they can do that. The only way you can fix your defensive transition is if you're being able to get better shot attempts, and that goes into fixing their offense and also fixing their communication defensively. So those are some of the things I'm looking at personally for them to be able to take the next step. Can they fix that defensive communication? Can they be a lot more – or can they be better uh, in their switching scheme? And what kind of wrinkles and changes will we see offensively? James is going to be James. Russ is going to be Russ. It's all about Russ, right? He's leading the league and scoring inside the paint since the Clint Capella trade. That's not by accident. Those things will continue. But to me, Eric Gordon, P.J. Tucker, Robert Covington, Austin Rivers, Ben McLemore, Jeff Green, those guys, you have to be able to get them involved a lot more than they did um, towards the end or the the stoppage of the season. 100%. Yeah, I'm so glad. Yeah, so, you know, we, we know, uh, so like you just went over what we can expect from the Rockets, but what do you think we can see from or expect from other teams d- defending James Harden? I know we saw in the regular season, you know, we saw the Bucs try to guard his left hand. We saw, sometimes you saw the Clippers double team him on the half court. What are some things that we can expect from other teams to try to defend James Harden and, and the shooters around him? Yeah, you know, it's really interesting. I, I like that Buck strategy and that Jazz strategy. It's very interesting. I, I, I think it can work to a certain extent, but if James wants to be selfish, you take away you take away his left hand or left hand dribble. Whenever you're left handed shooter and you're on the right side, it's easier for you to square up and shoot a three. And he's really good at taking step back three. So if you're gonna take away his left hand, all right, I'm just gonna step back and shoot a three, right? So the, James and Russ both have different um, types. That they're, they're both adaptable. They know what defenses are gonna throw at them because they've seen everything. I mean, everything you can think of. There was one game I think a few seasons ago where a team threw a box and one. They threw a 2-3 zone, a 3-2 zone, all these different things at James Harden just to slow him down. That team ended up winning, but James still went off, and and that's not by accident. He knows how to be able to kind of counteract different defenses. And this training camp, that's why for me is that important, to be able to get down in rhythm with these guys on what to do. And throughout their Zoom calls uh, during this this three months uh, hiatus, they've been kind of going over offensively what they need to do, and that comes with the speed, that comes with the kind of a little bit more ball movement and player movement as well. So I, I think that defenses will continue to throw different things at them. You're going to, um, you know, I, I think you're still going to see the trapping of James, especially because if he continues to score the way he, the way they do, but I think the Rockets have different wrinkles for that. Uh, we saw a lot more of Russell Westbrook kind of st- standing adjacent to him and the half quarter kind of screening for him. That's going to kind of, in- that's probably going to increase in volume um, as we go into the playoffs. Well, yeah, hundred percent. And and I guess to kind of piggyback off of that, um, how do you think the Rockets are going to be able to adjust, right? In terms of defense, right? You talked about defensive communications as well as you know if the Rockets' shots aren't going down, how do you think they're going to be able to ad- adjust to that? Let's say shots aren't going down and they're not falling. What do you think James Harden and Russell Westbrook have to do in, to, in terms of to step up? Because we saw this in you know when the Rockets played against the Warriors and and they missed twenty seven threes. You know, it, it really felt like. They just didn't know what to do after the shots weren't hitting. So in terms of that and in terms of, you know, the NBA restart, how do you think they're going to adjust to that? Yeah, and, and like it comes down to, there, there, in my opinion, there should be no excuse for them not to communicate defensively. You're playing in an environment where there's no fans, right? If they have crowd noise, they don't have crowd noise, whatever it may be, there's no fans. You can communicate. You should be able to communicate. You have a guy like P.J. Tucker. You have a guy like Robert Covington. You have guys who are able to kind of bark out instructions they need to communicate if they can and be able to call out these certain switches or even these slip screens that some of these teams do 
they'll be a lot more effective. There's a reason why the Rockets team almost uh, went to the NBA Finals in 2018. That defense was a They were fantastic in terms of switching everything, inviting teams to isolate, kind of junking their offense up and their rhythm up. The Rockets want to go back to that. They have the personnel to do it in terms of uh, James Harden. They have people who have done it before. Russell Westbrook wants to do it. I mean, if your team is bought in, which these players are, it can be successful. Now it's just up to them to make sure they communicate and execute it, uh, execute it on the floor. Cool, for sure. And, and you know, I'm excited to see how that's going to play out and see how they really get to adapt to that type of situation. Um, so in terms of the restart, right, we talked about the Rockets are going to um, try to play at a fast pace and, um, you know, shoot some threes and, you know, just play like how the Rockets usually play. Do you think that the play is going to be sloppy in terms of this coming up restart? <laughs> That's a great question. I don't. I don't know um, what it's going to be like. I can't tell you. I. I, I do think that it's been three months. Um, yes, you're going to have scrimmages. Um, yes, they're going to play in practice. But it's been three months and they've played actual competitive NBA games. Um, I think it's going to be a little sloppy early on. I really do. And, and, and what's unfortunate for the Rockets is that first game, for example, they played Dallas. That's a big game for them. Because Dallas is only a game and a half back from them in the standings. Um, and they could essentially lose a tiebreaker in a, with a loss to Dallas. And that's big for playoff seating. I know it's it's not necessarily about where you where you kind of rank uh, in the standings, but it's about matchups. And the Rockets want to make sure they can do everything they can to get a favorable matchup for them. And, and so that, that's a big game out of the gate. Then you play Milwaukee. So there's really no room uh, to play sloppy. But do I think it's going to happen? Yes. It's human nature. It's been three months. Three scrimmages won't really do too much, I think, um, for them. For a lot of teams, not just the Rockets, I know they're going to use these three scrimmages and eight games as a way to kind of figure out what their rotation is going to be like. But some of these teams are also bringing in additional players. They don't, they want to make sure that you – know, the one thing I'm curious about is they've been gone for three months. Yes, they've been working out, but you you start rushing your players back in, playing 35, 40 minutes a night. You are at risk. You're, you're putting your players at risk for soft tissue injuries or different types of soft injuries that could exist. So you have to be very careful about those things. And I think the Rockets have a plan about what they're going to do. And and I'm curious to see how that's going to work. But no question, it's probably going to be a little bit sloppy just because it's the fact that it's been three months uh, since we've seen competitive NBA basketball. Sloppy for sure. But, you know, to be honest with you, I'm just really excited to see some basketball going going up again. Um, and, and so I'm, I'm really excited to see how the NBA restart is going to be and what it's going to look like. So sounds good. So, yeah, we talked about the Rockets play style. Um, now I kind of wanted to talk to you about the recent signing of Luke Mahabute, right? Mm-hmm. How do you think he's going to be used in the Rockets system? And how do you think he's going to help the Rockets chances during the NBA restart? Yeah, that's a great question. That's something I asked Coach D'Antoni um, a few days ago when we had a chance to talk to him on Zoom. Um, what can he do or how can he contribute? We saw what he did in 2017-2018. Um, but I think it's it's going to be a big thing. How is his knee looking? Um, yes, he had a shoulder injury which kind of inhibited um, him from performing as well as he would want to in the playoffs in 2018. And personally for me, by the way, I think that was a major, major disadvantage to the Rockets. He was playing exceptional. Um he was a great kind of screen, a screener for James Harden and, and rolling towards the rim and kind of, you know, getting going from there. Great in isolation defensively. I mean, there's a lot of great things that Luke Babamute brought to the team and his injury really shortened the rotation for them. And so I do think if he was healthy and that shoulder injury did not occur for him, we could, we could be having a very different conversation about the turnout of that series. 
Uh, but anyways, to, to now, what's going on right now? Um, it's going to be up to him um, to see if he can earn himself a spot in the rotation. Um, Coach D'Antoni has been saying these three numbers as a magic number for what the rotation could be like. He doesn't know yet. Eight, nine, or ten. So if it's an eight-man rotation, are you going to have Jeff Green? Are you going to have more to make it nine? Or are you going to add uh, um, there's a lot of different uh, variability going on. Happen. Uh, the biggest thing is a small lineup. That lineup what Coach Antonio is lacking in this season is he's been having a lot more guards, a four guard lineup, or sometimes even a five guard floor. And what that does, yes, it allows you to and you have multiple guys who are the shot. But defensively, you don't have that huge amount of difference. You're switching everything, but it's, it helps to have length out there for you. And Luke Bawamuti allows you to have that. He's great in the post. He's with perimeter players. He does a great job. And if you go back and watch that Utah Jazz series from a few years ago, he clammed down on Donovan Mitchell. If you go back with Eric Gordon, of course. If you go back and watch his defensive highlights from that season, he was phenomenal. Like I said, it'll all come down to how is his knee feeling. If his knee is feeling well and he can be the same player he was in 2017, 2018, that's a major boost. Now allow Coach D'Antoni to experiment with having P.J. Tucker, Robert Covington, and Luke Babamute, two of those three on the court at all times. A very similar thing to back then in that Western Conference final season when they had P.J. Tucker, Luke Babamute, and Trevor Ariza two of those three on the court at all times. So if he can be healthy and he can show Coach D'Antoni that he can be trusted in that setting, he's going to get time. He has chemistry with James Harden. He's played in college with Russell Westbrook. Yes, that's been a long time. But to me, that chemistry with James Harden is an especially important. He can be an additional screener for them in small ball and roll to the rim and kind of pick and pop out there. He has the experience playing in that type of style already. Um, so I think he can be a big bonus. But like I keep mentioning, it's all about his health. Can he be healthy? Can he show that he can contribute good playing time? Exactly. And, you know, that's going to be a big factor to consider, right? If his knee is healthy, then I think that the Rockets are going to be able to use him very good, and he's going to make a big impact in terms of defense and offense, hopefully, if his shots are going down. He, so, he, was, great. he was great in transition for them a few years ago, and I think he's somebody who will help you push the pace. But personally, for me, one thing I'm really excited about, if he can uh, play well, is being being able to be a screener. With P.J. Tucker out there, he's usually the primary screener for James. Or Usually what happens in the Rockets' offense, for those listening, is James James Harden will bring the ball up the floor, and he'll, he'll, he'll probe the half court and see who is the best mismatch for me. Who can I attack defensively? And whoever that mismatch is, he'll call on them to come, come screen for him. And once that screen happens, they set a screen in a certain way that kind of invites or forces a switch to occur, and then James Harden attacks. And usually that's end up being with P.J. Uh, somebody – who's guarding Peter Tucker because he's hiding in the corner. Well, not hiding, in, like the defense, defender's hiding in the corner. Right. He's going to shoot a three. Uh, uh, but, you know, th- those types of things happen. If you have Luke Mute there, it allows them to be able to use Luke as a screener, attack the paint, somebody they trust being able to finish around the rim. 100%. And I'm excited to see how that's going to turn out. Um, perfect. Cool. So that's, that's a really good insight as to how we're going to think that, you know, Luke Mabute is going to be fit in with the rocket system. So that's, that's really cool. Um, also go ahead. Another thing about, uh, Mbambute, the most, like what I'm most excited about is, you know, adding a, another lengthy wing to our, to the, to the defense. Um, you know, the, the rockets, you know, they, they, they really needed those wings to, 
really match up against bigs because, you know, they're going small ball. You got Tucker guarding big men. But I think Luke Mabute can also help because, you know, the Rockets do switch everything. So if they do get screened, you know, Mabute's another body to throw at the big men, which is something great. Uh, another thing I want to transition to was, you know, Daryl Morey openly said, you know, uh, he said, I failed to get Harden enough talent around him to kind of go win a championship, you know, but we saw him sign and Bob Mute just now, you know, he traded for Russell Westbrook this year. He, he previously traded for um, Chris Paul, but he claims that he has not put enough talent around Harden, even with all those trades being done. Do you agree with him when he says that? Uh, I understand his point. I think I know what point he's trying to make and that they haven't won a championship. And for that reason, he's failed. Um, if we go back to that 2017-2018 season, I wasn't alive for those 94-95 teams. Um, but that 2017-2018 season is going to go down as one of the best teams to never win a championship. Um, in, terms, in terms of how well they played together and how close they were to winning a title. And so, so to me, has he failed? He's failed to win a championship. I do think that he made, and especially that season, he did a great job of kind of surrounding James Harden with talented wings who could help him and kind of mitigate his responsibilities defensively. Even though James is, he's been playing much better defensively, especially over the last five, six, seven years. Um, but having that roster built around him to be able to have three and D wings um, and to be able to play small with Chris Paul, I mean, it was a great roster for him. And so I, I don't necessarily agree with him that he failed. I think if he failed in anything, is just to win a championship, which 29 out of 30 teams fail every single year, if that's the criteria. Um, but I, I do think that he's tried his best under the circumstances, under roster construction, under all these things to be able to make sure he surrounds James uh, with as many good players as he possibly can. Um, you know, and, and, and let's, let's, let's consider it. This team is a product of James Harden. That 2017-2018 season for him, the MVP season, they allowed him to kind of go into isolation basketball. If we look at the season prior, when Coach D'Antoni first took over, it was so much more ball movement. It was so much more player movement. They're in a lot more 21 series, all these different uh, pet plays that they have in Coach D'Antoni's offense. It was very prevalent in that season versus the following season, his MVP season. He was such a, he was in a great zone for him in isolation. Him and Chris Paul both ranked first and second in isolation scoring. So when that's working for you and you're controlling the pace and you're minimizing turnovers, you do that. You follow that strategy, especially against a team like the Warriors, which switches everything. So I, I do think that Coach D'Antoni – sorry. I do think that Daryl Moore has done a great job at putting together a great roster on James. Now it's at the James uh, to be able to showcase the kind of good player he is and execute. But it's really hard to do. I don't think it's a shame that he hasn't won yet. So many great teams in the league, um, so many great pra- players in the league. It's it's. I think we are in a golden era in terms of NBA basketball right now. Uh, um, so we'll see. I do think that this team – uh, comparative to la- compared to last season, has a much higher ceiling. The floor is a lot lower, but this team, in terms of playing small, having the offensive p- firepower they do and the star power they do, they have a very high ceiling in the playoffs. If they can get off and get hot, I think they can make some noise and go deep uh, in a playoff run. So, you know, you went into how, you know, they, they haven't been able to win a championship, but do you think, you know, in 2018, Chris Paul hurt his hamstring in, I think it was game five? when the Rockets were up 3-2. Do you, do you believe that if Chris Paul had not hurt his hamstring and the Rockets had made the finals, this would be a different conversation? 100%. I, 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 I am one of those people who believe it didn't happen, so we can't I'm – not, I'm not somebody who likes to say, oh, you know, what if and crown somebody a champion. But I do think it's a very good possibility that Chris Paul did not get hurt 
the Rockets would have won that series. Um, Chris Paul has been somebody for them um, throughout his two-year tenure here. When the Rockets needed somebody down the stretch to take over a game or be able to kind of propel them uh, towards the finish line, he did that for them. And without him there, without his versatility, without his defensive prowess, they struggled. They lost a lot of confidence when he went down. Um, and I and I do think, though, that in terms of that roster, if they had gone past the Warriors that year, and that was such a big dog fight for them, everybody, both teams were playing their guys 40-plus minutes a night. I still do think the Rockets would have a great chance against Cleveland. So, you know, we could probably be having a very different conversation. Um, unfortunately, a hamstring has come in the way for Chris Paul and, and the Rockets. For sure. I, I mean, I totally agree with you. I feel like if, you know, Chris Paul was so important to that team in, in that series, you know, he's kind of like the whenever whenever the Warriors started going on a run, he'd be the guy that kind of ended that run. He'd be I like the watch game five, um, especially the second half and, and, and watch when Steph or Clay had a big shot, big three. Chris Paul would come back and immediately respond and get the crowd fired up. And when he went down with that injury, that was a very big blow for them. You had Eric Gordon who knocked on a big three for them, kind of secured the win for them. Uh, um, and they had all the momentum after that game. But as soon as Chris Paul went down, that really changed that changed everything. The Rockets, but people forget, Rockets had a double-digit lead in both half times of game six and seven. They still could have done it. But like I said, you needed Chris Paul to get past that finish line, and he didn't have him then. Chris Paul was so important to that team because, you know, like you said, they were up double digits in game six. And game seven, I'm, I'm pretty sure if, if I if I'm wrong, you, you correct me. But um, you know, Chris Paul is kind of that guy. You know, when the Warriors went on that run, went on a run, Chris Paul hit the big shot, get the crowd fired up, and he'd keep the momentum going, keep that lead uh, stretched out for the Rockets. You know, and that was a big loss for them when he went down. But you know, you can't really change the past. So, I mean, it's still a big what if. So yeah. you know, going on with uh, you know Daryl Morey and you know trying to build the right roster on James Harden. Who do, who do you think on the on this Rockets roster has the most pressure to win the, the title this year? <laughs> I think all of them. Uh, they're a team that should be contender every single year. I think the pressure is on them. They don't win this year. It's going to be a failure. They come in they come in as one of the older teams in the league. It's full of veterans. They Their expectations are to win. Um, but I do think if there's one player that's always going to fall down on, it's James Harden. Not even Russell Westbrook. It's James Harden. This is his team. He brought Russell Westbrook here. They've made so many changes for him over the last three years. They've always been a contender and a championship contender, but it's up to him. He needs to be able to help this team win and get to the promised land. I think this uh, teams are going to continue to attack him defensively. He and the coaching staff have to find a way to overcome what's going on um, on the floor. Um, but if they can, it's going to be a great thing for him in terms of his, um, in his career and what his career outlook is going to be like. Um, once he retires as well, this is a very big thing for the word is escaping me, but it's a very big thing for his uh, uh, the way he'll be remembered uh, in the future in terms of when he becomes a Hall of Famer and stuff. I think he's a championship ring. If we think about it, for example, Dirk, Dirk is an all time great. I love watching Dirk play um, when he won that championship in 2011. It validated a lot of great things about him. And, and, and I think the same thing will happen for James. If James can win the championship, it's going to validate him as one of the best players to ever play the game. Totally agree with you when you say that. And, um, you know, it is very important for James Harden to win a championship only because, you know, if he, if he doesn't end up winning a ring in his career, you know, people are just going to look at him as a regular season player. You know, I've seen that around Twitter a lot. Um, you know, not many people consider – they consider Harden a choker. But, um, I mean, if you look at the stats in the playoffs, you know, he still plays around that MVP level. E even, 
even when, you know, people say he choked, you know, he had those games against, like, you know, uh, game six against the Spurs where he was, like, two for, two for 11, two for seven, uh, you know, had a terrible game. But if you look at his overall stats in the playoffs, he hasn't been a great player in the playoffs. It just has, he, has, he hasn't been able to go get over the hump, you know. He's been going up against the Warriors for the past few years, you know, been running into him. And, and that's why I do think this is a very good opportunity for him and the Rockets. You know, they, they were not, I wouldn't say worn down, but it's a veteran team. Anytime you can get a veteran team three months rest and come back and play, that's huge, especially for James Harden, who has such a big load offensively for them. And, and, and for them, this training camp to be able to build camaraderie, build chemistry, build an understanding of what they need to do on both offense and the defensive ends, I think this is a great chance for them, as good of a chance as they're going to get in the James Harden era of winning a championship. It's, that's why I keep saying it's up to him. If you, you ask me that question, who has the most pressure? I think it's James. This is a great opportunity for him to be able to showcase – um, you know, what he can do uh, to help bring this team a championship. So, yeah, we had another question in the comments. Now, that being said, you know, uh, it is important for the Rockets to win, but do you think the Rockets are a better match with the Lakers or the Clippers coming into the playoffs? It's a very good question. I think if you ask me this question um, pre-Clint Capella trade, I would say the Clippers are a better matchup. Um, if you ask me post Clint Capella trade, I think the Lakers are a better matchup. I do think, though, that both teams are very difficult um, for the Rockets. The one thing about the Lakers is they are so big. Yes, the Rockets will play small, but that size, not just from their bigs, but from their guards as well, it will give the Rockets some issues, definitely. The Clippers are playing smaller. They have fantastic perimeter defenders. It kind of reminds me of the Warriors in that they have multiple wing defenders that can kind of throw at James Harden. You have Kawhi, you have Paul George, and you have some other wings out there who can kind of defend. And they did a great job of the training deadline of kind of adding more depth to their team and being able to kind of find people to plug in Chug, especially in their in, the, in their final, um, in, the, in, their, in their closing lineup. So you have Kawhi, Paul George, you have Morris, you have Harold, you have Lou Williams, you have Beverly, you have a lot of different guys to choose from in terms of who can be a part of this final five. You have Landry Shaman. So I, I do think in terms of the Clippers, they can play and match up well with the Rockets. It's up to the Rockets and, and their ability to be able to switch and play offensively to be able to defeat them. But I do think the Clippers matchup became monumentally harder once they became smaller. The Clippers are not as good in terms of their interior defense. Um, yes, I will be attacked for this by a lot of Clippers fans, but I, I do think that the Rockets with Clint had a great advantage. If you go back and watch those games, Clint did make an impact um, there. And, and I, I think the Rockets, by going smaller, taking away that big, you have to be able to do well. You have to be able to trust James Harden and Russell Westbrook to get going. And, and then you have to be able to switch defensively and kind of take Kawhi and Paul George out of their comfort zone. So I do think that matchup with the Clippers becomes much harder, but the matchup with the Lakers becomes a little bit easier. But both matchups, I mean, you're going to have to defeat both. I don't think it's just about one you have to play. If you're going to win an NBA championship from the Western Conference, you have to be able to beat both the Clippers and the Lakers to get there, and that's going to be a very tall task. Totally agree with that. You know, um, they got they like like you said. You know, the the Lakers are really big. You know, and you know it was confirmed do I Howard will be playing in the restart. So. You know, it would be tough, you know, guarding those big bodies with Anthony Davis, LeBron James, Dwight Howard. I mean, it's going to be tough to stop them in the paint, especially with uh, all the wing defenders and undersized. But we'll see how that goes. And, you know, every year the Rockets try their best to build the roster to go win a championship. So, you know, do you know any free agent 
targets that the Rockets are having for the next season, you know, to kind of keep the championship window open. People say the window is closing for the Rockets, but what are, what are some free agent targets that the Rockets are looking at to kind of keep that window open? That, that, that's a great question. And I think, I think it may be a little bit too early to it's, I think it's a little too premature to kind of look forward to next season. Cause we still don't know what's going to happen. Um, but I will say somebody on my personal radar who I think would be a great fit here is Jeremy Grant. Um, he is somebody who would fit in this roster like a T. Um, there's a difference between a good corner corner shooter and a great corner shooter. He is a good corner shooter with potential to be a great corner shooter. And, and spacing is a very subjective term. But I think in terms of his ability and his confidence playing in Coach Tony's system, if he was here, that he would become a floor spacer. Right now, he's not. He's a good three-point shooter. He's not a floor spacer just yet. I think if he came to play with Coach Tony, having him and PJ um, would be able to provide them with two floor spaces from the corners to knock down great shots at a high percentage from three. And not only that, defensively, he's a great weak shot shot blocker. You already have Robert Cummington. If you pair them up with Jeremy Grant and PJ Tucker, that allows you to minimize playing time for all three of them and be able to rest, especially a guy like PJ Tucker who will be turned who, who will be turning 36 years old. Uh, next season. So for me, Jeremy Grant would be a home run uh, free agent pickup for them. Um, there are some other guards I'm looking at. Austin Rivers is a free agent again this year. He's been great for them defensively. He's been great for them offensively as well. Somebody who's a great in isolation, kind of great and can be able to create his own shot if Eric Gordon or Russell Westbrook are kind of struggling with the second unit. So he's somebody I would like the Rockets to bring back as well. Um, but what we have to see, I think it's still, it's, if you were to ask me and the season had already ended, I would be able to tell you who the Rockets would be looking at. But it's because we've stopped, we've kind of had to stop the season. We we only have a certain sample size of games for the team. We still don't know too much about what this team and what the roster construction will look like. For me, this training camp, this eight games are really important for me to understand what the Rockets will not only be looking for, but which players kind of fit their system the best. And once we do that, I'll be able to give you a better answer. Um, but somebody personally, like I said, who I'm looking at, who I think would be great in the system is Jeremy Grant. I mean, I totally agree. Jeremy Grant is a great defender and a, and a pretty good shooter. I mean, he, he's still young, so he still has time to improve, and he could be great. And, you know, at the Rockets, you know, the 3 and D player, you know, I'm always available here sitting at home. I'm always waiting for that contract to come in. You know, I, I can shoot. I can play defense. But the Rockets need me. I got you. I'm here. But, you know, with that being I'll, said... I'll play you one-on-one. I'll play you one-on-one and I'll beat you. I don't think you can even guard me. <laughs> I'm not even going to get into that, you know. I know, there's no doubt in my mind I could, I could be both, y'all, you know. But it's cool. It's cool. I'll, I'll live with that. But, um, you know, before we kind of end it off here, you know, I got kind of have one more question for you. You know, uh, the Rockets have had many potential deals in the past. You know, we, we heard about Tyler Johnson was being signed, but um, we haven't heard news on that. But, um. You know, there's also been trades that have fell through. What What are some, like, trades that the Rockets almost made, but they just fell through at the last second? One for me that's very memorable is last uh, last season of the trade deadline. Um, I remember because it, it was pretty confident it was going to happen uh, from people I was talking to. Um, and it was Jermichael Green and Garrett Temple coming here. It was part of that Brandon Knight uh, trade package situation that was going on in terms of the Rockets for an alleviated contract situation. and. I feel like personally, if Garrett Temple and Jermichael Green were on this roster for that stretch run last season, we would be having a totally different conversation if Kevin Durant went down game. Uh, I forgot which game it was of that uh, a conference semis. Um, I think the Rockets would have been able to pull it off if Jermichael Green and Garrett Temple was there. 
They struggled defensively. They didn't have as many wing defenders as they wanted. They had a lot more shooters and smalls. I think if you have a guy like Jamal Green who can shoot the three well, Garrett Temple, who's a great perimeter defender, that would have completely changed the dynamic for the Rockets and have added two two veteran guys who know what it takes. Um, So for me, that's a big trade that almost fell through. It it didn't fall through for those asking um, because of the situation surrounding Mike Conley and Marcus Hall at the time um, when the whole thing was going on. And at the same time, that's when the Anthony Davis Anthony Davis uh, trade news broke out. So the, the trade market pretty much froze. And once it restarted back up, the Rockets kind of moved in a di- different direction. Memphis struck a deal uh, with the Los Angeles Clippers. So a lot of things changed because of that. But that, to me, is always a big what if, something that could have almost happened, should have happened, um, and how, how it could have kind of changed the direction or the course of the Rockets last season. Totally agree with that. You know, if if the Rockets did have Garrett Temple and uh, Jamichael Green, that would have been a, two key pieces for the Rockets to, you know, kind of add wings along with Harden and Capella and um, CP3 to kind of take, uh, kind of have a better chance to beat the Warriors in the in the semis. Um, you know, that kind of concludes our you know uh, podcast for today. You know, for, we want to thank you for coming on and uh, come talking with us. And you know, we just really appreciate you coming on, taking time out of your day and. Uh, thank you so much. Yeah, man. Oh, thanks for having me on, guys. I'm excited to see this podcast grow, and and you two will be on TV very soon, hopefully. So, uh, for sure, we for sure. So, thank you so much, man. Have a great day, bro. You too. All right, yeah. So that kind of concludes our podcast for today. Uh, you know, we got some great episodes coming soon. You know, more guests, uh, more great topics coming up. Uh, anything to add, or son? No, that's about it. You pretty much covered it all. Don't forget, you know, we stream every Friday at noon. So be sure to tune into that. And don't forget to subscribe to all of our media outlets. And we will see you guys next week. Also, um, look out for our Twitter for timing changes because we will be doing some changes soon. And you're trying to make the best of this podcast. So keep tuning in. And, you know, we might have a few giveaways in the future. You never know. Um, So thank you guys for watching.